with us today is uh, Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and he's with us every Sunday to let us know what the heck is going on out there, somewhere out there. Uh, Steve, good to have you on a Sunday morning. It expands our mind a little bit uh, to, to, to dream and to wonder. So where, do, where should we start? Well, good morning, John, to you and the listeners. Always exciting things. I have a little update here from the James Webb Telescope. And boy, John, that has really given us so much information about the universe. You know, in 10 years, we probably couldn't imagine that we'd have so much technology here with this massive telescope. But here's what we think is happening right now. One of the latest uh, revelations, I should call it, maybe not a discovery. The James Webb Telescope, John, just recently imaged a star that now they believe there's a planetary object, we call them exoplanets, around a particular star. Now, that's not great news or Earth-shaking news or space-shaking news because we know there's so many exoplanets out there. But here we go. The James Webb Telescope has, the first time in history, it has directly imaged an exoplanet. In other words, it's actually seen the object because previous to this, the only way the astronomers could ever figure out if there was something around the star is they'd have to watch it if it transited in front, and they never really saw it. They just saw a light dip, and they gave an estimate of what the size would be through math. Well, this little object they've labeled GJ486b. It's around that star, and it's 26 light years away from us, but it's weird, John. It's around a red dwarf star, and now astronomers are thinking that if there are habitable planets out there, they may not necessarily be around stars like our sun, but these dying stars... And we find out that this little object probably is in the habitable zone. What did they detect? They detected water vapor, but the astronomers are having a little bit of confusion. They don't know if that water vapor is around the star or if it's directly around the planet. Now, if it's around the planet, well, there we go. The first evidence, really, of maybe a planetary object that might harbor, not I didn't say life, but has water. So that's interesting because the James Webb Telescope is so powerful this is the first time they've actually imaged a planet around another star system without doing the theoretical stuff. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. I mean, um, there's so many things out there that I hope we can live long enough to find out what the heck is really going on. Yes, absolutely. And it's just so mind-boggling because, remember, 26 light years away, that means that what they saw happened in 1997 when we were all busy in our lives doing other things a long time ago. But what's interesting about this is that little object, the planet that they talk about, this GJ486b, it orbits around this star, like we go around once in 365 days around the sun. We know that. This goes around that star in 1.5 days, and they're saying that it's tidally locked. So in other words, its face stays the same to that star, but its temperature, they say, is around 800 degrees Fahrenheit. So... For anybody out there that puts one and one together, you would say, wait a minute, how does water survive in 800 degrees? Because boiling points are like 212 Fahrenheit. But it's the first time we've had any indication of water vapor around a star. But I'm so keen on this James Webb telescope, right, John? I mean, it's got this amazing 21-foot series of, of mirrors. And it's really in, what, a year and a half, two years maybe coming up, done so much great science I think we've only begun to uh, to scratch the surface, and that, that's incredible. Now, I mean, we, we talk about Mars. We talk about the moon. Sure. I mean, uh, Venus and Merc Mercury so close to the sun. Sure. Uh, it, it must be 800 degrees there. 
It sure is. And here's another strange factoid about Mercury being the smallest planet in the solar system. The Ganymede moon of Jupiter is larger than Mercury. But, John, on one side, the temperatures can drop way below zero. And on the other side, it's, you know, bubbling hot. So the point is, we've never seen water on Mercury. Maybe that planet that we talked about is the same thing. Maybe the other side of that planet is the same as Mercury. There you go. It could very well mimic those features because, like I said, since it's locked on, it's like if you take your hand, put it in front of your face and don't turn it and just move it around your head, one side's overly hot, the other side may be, who knows, semi-habitable, but that's what's so great about this. But what's also interesting, John, is this other conundrum, these great mysteries that we talk about. We talk about a subject in physics called absolute zero. What the heck is that? We've talked about it a long time ago. It's the lowest temperature that you can have in the universe where all molecular and atomic motion stops. What is it? 459.7 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Now, here's this nebula that they found called the Boomerang Nebula. It looks like a shape of a boomerang or a bow tie. It's 5,000 light years away. So the astronomers, with their ways of measuring things, you know, through the spectroscope and all these other fancy math formulas, they find out that this is the coldest place in the universe. What's the temperature? Minus 458 below zero Fahrenheit, which is like one degree away from the all-time low temperature. So that's incredible because scientists are saying that if we can get to absolute zero or get to the lower temperatures, this is going to change the subject slightly, but it's going to help us in the world of what we call quantum computing. Because when you get down to those super low temperatures, conductivity and things move in a different direction. So maybe the concept of trying to you know, get to absolute zero is something technologically that in the future you'll have computers that can uh, outpace the wildest imagination that you and I could have. Totally mind-boggling. It is. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Steve, uh, sure. any upgrade, uh, update on uh, uh, those, uh, uh, the one on the moon that was supposed to be landing and, and they lost right. it? They did. That's Arcudo R. No, no further contact with it. What a sad thing, because we talked about it, I think, last week. And I also mentioned it with Frank Morano on the other side of midnight, which, funny, John, we say on that hour, and Frank agrees, that we changed the name of the show just temporarily to the infinite side of midnight. But we talked about it there, too. But no, uh, no update. It's sad because it was going to be one of the first privatized craft to land on the moon. So many more things are happening in space right now. But Here's another space one that's in the news and people don't talk about. Remember back in 1977, we launched two Voyager spacecraft, one Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. Well, NASA and the space scientists are giving a little more money to fund it for about three more years. But people need to know this. The Voyager 1 spacecraft is actually the farthest man-made object out in space. How far is it? 14 billion miles away. So if you and I, John, were going to the uh, tracking center where they have all the, you know, the commission control, and we told the spacecraft to do something, it takes 22 hours plus and some minutes just for that spacecraft to receive a signal. Like if we wanted to say, turn camera one on, close camera two, or send us back something. That's so amazing because humankind has sent this out. And we all know that one of the Star Trek movies, I forget the name of the movie entirely, but we found out that one of the Voyager spacecraft went out into space, and it was known as V'ger. And what did it do? It actually became like an entity of intelligence onto its own. That's the sci-fi side. But that's amazing, John, that something like that is still operating, and that's way out there beyond our wildest dream. And oh, it's only, it's not light years away. 
That's 14 billion miles away. And it's actually left the gravity field of the sun. You know, the solar wind comes out of the sun like a garden hose. And it crossed the area where the sun's energy doesn't push out any farther. So that is the deep, dark cosmos. So amazing, so incredible. And we always end it off, John, with things that people can see in the sky. This is a beautiful weekend. And on this Sunday evening, if you still look to the east after sunset, you'll see the remnants of the beautiful full flower moon, just a magnificent moon in the sky. And you'll also know that we're going through a little meteor shower right now. The moon's light will wipe out most of it, but some lucky people will see them. It's called the Eta Aquarid Meteor Shower. And these debris particles, John, all come from the famous comet called Halley's Comet. So if you look into the southeast before dawn, say 4 a.m. to sunrise or maybe 3 a.m., you may get to see a few of those so-called shooting stars. But remember, mankind's comet throughout history has always been Halley's Comet. And it hasn't been around here since 1986, before that, 1910. And we're looking for a journey of us, you know, to see it again in the year 2061. But if you can't wait that long, try that in the sky. And we got some great interviews, John. I hope we make 2061, me and you, Steve. (laughs) I hope so. And we have some great, finally, we have some great interviews coming up on the Dr. Sky Experience at WABCRadio.com. And one of them, John, is very interesting. I'm proud of this. had an interview years ago with Dr. Kip Thorne out of California Institute of Technology. He's a co-Nobel Prize winner on something called gravitational waves, which is the warping of space-time. He's a real amazing man. I've met him. But if people go there, you'll find, what, a plethora of interviews on all these subjects that we talk about. And thanking you for letting me open up people's minds on Sundays as we talk about these great topics. Dr. Steve Tates, thank you so much. And Dr. Sky, you're a normal, you're not a doctor as Steve Tates, but you're a Dr. Sky. Thank you so much, and God bless you, and thank you for enlightening us and, and expanding our mind. Well, thank you, John, for the opportunity, and a happy Sunday to your listeners. Happy Sunday. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com.